Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This morning as we're going through our Revelation series, I wanted to begin with a story. A true story that happened a long, long time ago. It was in a beautiful city on the Aegean Sea between uh, Turkey and Greece. It was planned out by a master planner called Alexander the Great. He was not only a, a great warrior, but he had an architectural side to him. He, and he, plan, he loved to plan out different things like cities. He wanted everything to be perfect. And the city was, was built right next to literally a perfect harbor because it, it literally had, you know, it was landlocked on three sides. So the boats had protection coming in and, and going back out. And as they had this master plan for the city, they put extra wide streets in to, to walk on because most cities during that time, what happened? They just kind of popped up. You know, somebody said, this is a good place for a city. And they built something. It just kind of built up and built up and there was no really planning going into it. But there was huge streets, especially around the Acropolis area, and, and Acropolis was like a high place, like a small mountain, and they, they built it around this, and up on the Acropolis, they had a, they had a temple to Zeus, they had a temple to Aphrodite, a, t- a temple to, to Apollo, and it was covered by beautiful myrtle trees with you know, huge flower gardens all over the place. It was a beautiful city. The main street was called the Street of Gold because there was so much, so much commerce going on there, so much you know, buying and selling. In fact, they had a, what you're looking at here is the middle layer of a three-story mall. They dug out the ground and put a mall in underneath and then put stone on top of it and built another level. I don't know if you've ever been to Houston, the Galleria Mall. I mean, as a kid, you're just like, wow. I mean, it's a three-story mall. They got a nice rink down at the bottom. Think the same kind of concept for back then. It was huge. Money just flowed there. They were very, very rich. Not only did they have a theater built on the side of a hill, a beautiful theater just built right into the side of the hill, they, they could afford their own stadium, and they built their own stadium, and they held games there all the time. They had festivals going on, and you know, everything a big city would have. Festival to, to the gods. You had a festival for Zeus and Apollos and Dionysus, and, and they even had a festival for Caesar. This town allied to Rome before Rome even became a superpower. In 195 BC, they built the temple to the goddess Roma, which was unheard of because that, you know, the Roma god, you know, Rome and the empire, that, that, that was not existent at the time. Until Rome become a, became a superpower and then everybody started doing it. But during these festivals, the people would come from all over Asia Minor to come down to the, to the festival of the empires. 
uh, or to the emperors. And 350 years later, in February of 155 A.D., people flooded in from all over the country just to go to this festival. And they were bringing Christians to the stadium screaming, Kill! 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 Thrown to the wild beast. Repent for being an atheist. Because Christians were, were considered atheists. Why? They believed in one God. And one God only. Because you had a polytheistic society and you were an atheist, especially if you believed in a God that you couldn't see, you couldn't make a little statue of. You should worship all gods, they said. And it's wrong if you don't. So they were like, bring them in. And they brought in this one old guy that's written down, Germanicus is his name. He was a very old man. Are you going to repent? Are you going to repent from being an atheist? Are you going to burn an, you know, just burn an offering to, to Caesar? And he said, I have no desire to live in a world that is full of injustice. And he literally looked over to where the beast was. The story is written down from the time, the historians. He looks over where the beasts were kept and he says, come and get me. The crowd went into hysterics, screaming, down with the atheists, down with the atheists. And then they started going, bring us Polycarp, bring us Polycarp. He was the name of the bishop in the area. He was a leader of all the churches over all, the whole area. He was an old guy by now. He knew John and he trained under the Apostle John. So they ran, the, the people who knew Polycarp, they ran to t tell him, Look, dude, they're, they're coming for you. You need to get out of town now. So he fled to a country estate. Really kind of against his will, because he, didn't, he wasn't the type of man to flee. And they searched and searched for days for this man. The festival was still going on. And while they were searching, Polycarp and his friends, they fasted and they prayed. And one night he had a vision that his pillow was on fire. And he finally figured out, well, God is going to have me burned alive because they were burning Christians alive at the stake. And he flees again when they got close. And, and the, the, his people chasing him captured two guys and they tortured them to get them to tell them where he had gone. So late one night... They came to get him about dinner time. They arrived banging on the door, and his, his companions were going, Polycarp, go out the back. You've got to get out of here. And he says, no, God has a plan for me, and it begins right here. He walks to the door, and he opens the door, and the soldiers are stunned because here's this like 80 to 90-year-old, mid-80s, Little, little short, skinny man saying, I am Polycarp, you're here for me. And he invited them in and said, eat the meal we were going to eat and let me pray for an hour. And they allowed him to do this. The resting soldiers sat down and ate while he prayed. It's recorded that his prayer was so powerful so fervent, so gracious and loving that they felt awful for coming to do what they had to do. But they had to arrest him. Because if they didn't arrest him and, they found, and, and, the, and their superiors find out, they would have to suffer the fate that he was supposed to suffer. They had a duty to perform, so they, matched, uh, they, they marched him along 
as they were going back. And the leader of the soldiers kept coming up to Polycarp and saying, come on, man, what's the harm? What's the harm? Just burn a little incense to the Caesars. Burn a little, just, it's not going to hurt anything. You'll be spared. Just say Caesars, Lord, once. They're just being politically correct. It'll be okay. Just do it once. Doesn't mean anything. And Polycarp said, I had no intention of doing what you ask. I'm staying firm to what I believe. My Lord Jesus Christ is the only Lord that there is. And all night long, it's, it's written down that the leader just badgered him and badgered him. And by morning, they were treating him roughly because they were so frustrated that he wouldn't do what they asked. So literally, they dragged him into the stadium, and the crowd's in an uproar. And, and as they were e- entering, uh, Polycarp and a few of his friends heard this voice from heaven that said, Be strong, Polycarp, be strong. No one else heard him. So they marched him into the center of the stadium, and the crowd just goes wild. And they're saying, Kill, kill, down with the atheist, death, death. And they roared to bring out the animals to tear him apart. And they brought Polycarp before the proconsul, the you know, the judges. And there was a trial, and they said, You are an atheist. And they tried to get Polycarp to say several things. They tried to get him to say, Away with the atheist. Away with the atheist. In other words, the, the atheist, you know, what they believe is wrong. Instead, he kind of turned it around. He looked at the crowd who were the real atheists, and he said, away with the atheists. And the crowd knew what he was saying, and they even got you know, more upset. All you have to do is say, Caesar's Lord. Swear by Caesar and curse Christ. And Polycarp replied, 80 and 6 years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul told him, we're going to bring out the animals. The animals are going to tear you to shreds if you don't do this. And he said, sin for the beast, for I will not change. It went back and forth and back and forth. Do you admit that, that you are a Christian? And he said to the proconsul, the judges, give me one hour to teach you, and you will understand what I believe. Just one hour. And they said, well, if you want to teach, teach the crowd. And he looked around. He goes, no, I'll, I'll talk to you because the Bible says I'm under your authority. But I will not defend myself to this unruly crowd. The crowd became so angry because the heralds are, you know, the heralds, the guys with the big megaphones, they're, they're, they're calling out what's going on down in the trial. So the crowd knows what's going on. And, and you know, the, the herald cries out, Poly, Polycarp has confessed for being a Christian. And they started screaming, this is the man who is the leader of Asia. This is the man who is teaching thousands. This is the man who we want. This is the man who we want to burn alive. And finally, the proconsul just said, let the games begin. The crowd literally ran to get wood to burn this man. It's recorded that, that the ones that were the most zealous were the Jews, which is ironic since they're the only other monotheistic, you know, you know believers alive they're the ones that should have understood he was tied to a post he asked for a moment to pray and the crowd grows silent 
He prayed that it was such an incredible blessing that God was giving him that there are only a few people in life that, would, that, that received this special gift of martyrdom. Because the early church believed that martyrdom was a special gift from God. It is said that the flames grew up around him, but they did not touch him. The fire got hotter and hotter. And the crowd, instead of seeing this and thinking, man, we're, we're dealing with a real God here. His God is, is protecting him. They just got, you know, instead of thinking, we better watch out, they just got even angrier. And finally, the executioner throws a spear in and hits Polycarp in the heart, and he died. This is recorded by his friends that saw it. It's the first martyrdom that's recorded after the disciples were all martyred. Now, why did I tell this story? And why did I show that clip that you're thinking, why show a clip like that in church? I think it's important because it fits into what we're talking about in Revelations 2 today. Because John is told to write seven letters to the churches that Jesus dictated to him. So John, he's supposed to write one of the letters, and the guy that that receives the letter in Smyrna is a bishop called Polycarp. Polycarp received that when he was about 30 years old in 95 AD from his friend and mentor, John. Now, one thing that that we believe is that the Bible was written way back then for the people back then, but it totally relates to us today. Just imagine this. Jesus has just told the last apostle to write you a letter and the church comes in and gathers up and, because it would be a big deal. And, and they would open up the letter, and this is what it would say. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know, that, I know the slander of those who say that you are Jews and are not, But our synagogue of Satan, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer, I tell you. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will crown you. I'll give you a crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Now, how would you feel if you received a letter from Jesus? I mean, John wrote this straight out of the mouth of Jesus. And we, we talked about last week the, the sword that's, you know, he's seeing the heavenly Jesus. And when Jesus speaks, the, the sword of truth just is, you know, just coming right out of his mouth, every word. And you're receiving this letter. I mean, I'd be like, Dude, hey, hey, dude that brought this letter, um, did, did you miss a page? There's got to be something more to this, because this can't be it. This, you know, no, there's got to be more here. Because I read this message, and if I was Polycarp reading this message, I wouldn't like what I read. I mean, basically this says, life is hard, and then you'll die. Some will be executed, but that'll be okay. 
See, I would want something more. I would want the warm, fuzzy letter, right? Give me something that's going to make me feel good. Give me something that's going to encourage me. Give me something that that I'm going to be able to say, oh, God has this wonderful thing. Give me something like that. Not this hard stuff. But this letter is the ultimate reminder that life is not for living. And I know that's, it, it, it doesn't really make sense, but it does. Because life is a period of testing. From the moment of conception to the moment you die, it's a training ground. Because this life is not the goal. The goal is the life that comes after this. This life should work out now. But this is just a training that letter arrived to Polycarp when he was 30 years old. What did he think when he, when he opened it up and read it? Some of you are going to die. When will my turn come? I wonder if he thought about that. Because 56 years later, it did. His moment came. How would you feel knowing that you would suffer for your faith even to death? Because we live in America, right? Where we have a ton of rights. We can meet right now because I've been reading in the papers this last week and, and, and you know, on the internet and stuff that, that Christians in different parts of the world, they're, they're being attacked. Literally, their church is being, being torn apart. There's stuff being taken out of the homes. Even to the point where they're being put to death. So I had to really look at this letter and see what Jesus is saying to them. The first thing he says is, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Earlier he said the same thing in in, you know in Revelation, he said the same thing to John in Revelation 117. When John, you know, hears the verse, you know, take a letter, and he turns around, there's the glorious Jesus there, and it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed a right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. He says to Smyrna, I know this letter is hard, but I've been through it. I've been there. I've suffered for it. I hold the keys. I understand the beginning and the end, because Jesus, you know, he didn't just die for us. He was tortured to death for me. He was tortured to death for you. He understands what you're going through. You know, we can't shake our fists at God and say, you don't understand what I'm going through. We can do that, but you need to understand, he does know what you're going through because he went through it. For Smyrna, their loyalty was going to be tested. they would be asked to say that there were other gods. He was saying, know this. There are none before me, and there's none after me. I was at the beginning, and I am the end. See, this is true also for us, that we are going to be tested in this world. We make decisions every day. Every day, all on the same level being tested in two different ways. 
Is Jesus' words true, even when I don't feel like they are? Because there's sometimes when I, I read stuff in the, in the Word, and I'm sitting there going, ah, man, I know that's true, but I don't really feel like following that. Or that is so hard to follow. Is Jesus' words true, even when I don't feel they are? And secondly, am I going to stay loyal even when I don't feel like it. See, this has everything to do with his authority and our loyalty. Our loyalty to to what he's done for us. It is called faith. It doesn't take faith, you know, it doesn't take a lot of faith when things are going great, does it? Man, when life is going great, it takes, I mean, you you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to to worry about whether you're going to stay loyal or not. That's what you do when you have faith, you know? But I hate the part of the Christian life, you know, I I just hate it. I wish things would would go smoother for us. I wish things would go smoother for myself. I wish things would go smoother for you. It's like one trial after another. I mean, uh, forgive me for this, but, but, you know, Deanna just went through another deal where where they were sitting there going, man, do do I have cancer again or not? It's just, I, I wish Deanna didn't have to go through that. Praise the Lord, hey, they did the testing and no cancer. Her cancer did not come back. I mean, that's a great thing. But man, I, I, just, I just hate that somebody has to go through that. I hated it when my father went through dying of cancer. I hated it when, uh, when, when people suffer. I just can't stand that part of life. Finally get through one situation, and here comes another. It seems like life sometimes is a, a series of troubles, and then we die. But that's the testing of our faith. The key to life is to know God is with you and that he is there along the way. That's the key to our walk. That's the key to our faith. Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Because, you know, earlier I said that, you know, people come in and and take stuff out of your house if you're a Christian. Literally, the early Christians, before they built all the the huge arenas, before they they literally brought in the lions and and all the the tigers and and the bears, oh my, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, before they brought everything in, before they let the animals rip you to shreds, what did they do? They ostracized you. They kicked you out of town. While you're at church, they would go to your home and change the locks. They would take all your stuff. You'd get back home and there'd be no more home. You'd just be, you're out on your own. We have it easy today. Jesus comes to them and says, I know you're poor. The Greek words here is really two, two words. Not just poor, living paycheck to paycheck, going, okay, well, if I hold off on this bill this month, if I hold off on this, uh, this company's not going to get too upset. I'll pay that as soon as I get paid in the next paycheck. No, 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 no. This is, means absolute destitute. I know what you're going through and what it's like, but you're rich. Man, don't tell me that stuff, Jesus. Look at my life, Jesus. Look at what I'm going through. But Jesus is saying we have to reorient, reorient the way we think. Because when we serve Christ, when we suffer for Christ, when we do these things for Christ, we're storing up treasures in heaven. Storing up the richness of friends. It's the true faith. Jesus says, I have the keys to the bank. 
I know how much you have. He knows how much riches we have in our vault in heaven because we're storing up riches in heaven, not here on this earth. I know your poverty, but you are rich. He goes on and says, I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. You know, it's ironic that the, the Jews were the most zealous for Polycarp's, burn, uh, Polycarp's burning. They should have been on his side, but they weren't. Because they know the truth, but they've walked away from it. There are times in your life others should be on your side who aren't. And it will drive you nuts. But your goal is to stay on the path, not to stop and whine, which we all love to do, not to give up, which many of us would love to do, not to say, I guess you're right, I give up. We should not give up on something until God says it's the time to give up. He goes on in verse 10, it says, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer, I tell you. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Some scholars believe that, you know, it's a short persecution time for, for the Christians, and other scholars believe that there's ten major persecutions um, <coughs> during the Roman reign, uh, during their empire, from A.D. 67 to about 314 A.D., until Rome becomes Christian, which is a very interesting story. But during this time, over five million people are, are persecuted and killed for Christ. That's what Fox's Book of Martyrs says. You will suffer persecution for 10 10 days. And then he says a really strange thing. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now this phrase, second death, only occurs a couple of times. He tells them it's really not about this life. In fact, in Revelation 20, verse 4, it says, I saw, uh, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of, of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed are and holy are those who, who, have, uh, who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will, uh, they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So we see the first resurrection takes place. Now skip down to verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne of him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were, were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. 
If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It's the only passage in the, in the Word of God that talks about the lake of fire. And it says, be faithful and you will not receive this second death. If a name is written in the book of life, then we don't have to worry about it. If you've been faithful to God, if you've accepted Him as, 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 as your Lord and Savior, then you don't have to worry about the second death. And, and that's very difficult. To, it's easier for a younger man to say, oh, don't worry about death. It's not so easy for an older man to say, hey, don't worry about death, because we all kind of fear uh, you know, this earthly death. But at the same time, we don't have to fear it the same way the world does, because we know where we're going, and we know what we won't suffer. Because we've received a crown of life. It's called the victor's crown. And there's a great study, if you want to take it, is all the different crowns that are mentioned in the Bible. And one of them is called the victor's crown. The ultimate crown. See, this is the big test of Christianity. This is what what Peter talked about in 1 Peter 1. He says, praise be to God. And the Father of, the Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He gave us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may had, have had to suffer all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, I think one of the things that we forget about, we, we, we all love the little nuances of, of the Word of God, and we, we love getting in little disputes, and not arguments, but disputes. Well, I think it means this. Well, I think it means that. Well, if you go look in this Scripture, if you go look in that Scripture, sometimes we miss the big picture. What's the big picture? Once you accept Christ, hang in there, because it's not about what happens in this life sometimes. It's about what happens in the next life. Stay faithful. Peter was crucified upside down shortly after those words were written by him. I want to end this morning with a simple paraphrase. Jesus understands what you are going through. And he tells you that it's not about this life, but the next one. So hang in there. Have some faith. Even when you feel like God's not there, have faith because He is, even though you're going to suffer. Because we all will suffer in one way or another for our faith. But He holds the kingdom, or the keys to the kingdom. He knows that you are poor because He can see your amazing treasure that's stored up for you in heaven when you remain faithful. 
So for those of you that feel like life has got you down, maybe you're going through a difficult time. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's family. I'm sure we all have different stories that we could tell about family. Maybe it's work. We have stories about work and the people we have to work with, have to work for. Friends. Or maybe just life is just getting you down. Don't worry about it. If you can suffer through it, the glorious end is unbelievable when we hang in there for our faith. Let's pray. Lord, so many times life just gets us down. So many times when we think we just got over one thing, we're just blindsided by something else. We just seem to go from one thing, one crisis, to another crisis, to another crisis. And I pray that in between all of the stuff going on, that we catch a glimpse of who you are and what you mean to our life. That we start to understand that, that you know what we're going through. We start to understand that, that you are there to support us. That if we hang on to you, in his life that's a roller coaster, that we arrive at a beautiful destination in the end. And that is to be with you forever. And that we not forget that, Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he give you rest in this world that is so weary sometimes. And his face will never turn from you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.